0: Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church sermon podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be heading here. In just a few moments today, we're continuing in this message series that's entitled "I Serve, Discover Your Purpose." I serve, discover your purpose. Over the last several weeks, we have tried to help people to move along in understanding and discovering their purpose for life. We've 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 asked several questions about this. You know, is purpose something? That I discover, or is is purpose something that discovers me? Uh, Is purpose something that I go out on a mission to try to find? Or is it something that I'm actually growing in, in my life? Is is God even growing me today in the purpose for which He's called me to do? Uh, We've discovered that God actually has equipped you. He's given you what you need. He's given you the tools, the resources that are necessary for you to, to find purpose in your life, to be used, to be used in the body of Christ. He's gifted believers with spiritual gifts. And one of the great questions we could ever ask ourselves is this. God, how have you uniquely gifted me in the Spirit to make a difference in the lives of others? God, how have you uniquely gifted me in the Spirit to make a difference in the lives of others? And one of the things that we are praying As we move forward as a church family, we are praying that God raises up people to minister and to serve. We believe the opportunity is growing and increasing, and I hope and I pray that every single one of you can engage, plug in, and identify with the unique way that God wants to use you in the body of Christ. Now, one of the things that you're going to discover as you Grow, pursue, find purpose. Whatever that looks like in your life, most likely it's going to lead you and compel you to give. Whatever it looks like in your life, most likely it's going to lead you and compel you to give. Not just to give of yourself, but also to give of all the resources God has blessed you with. You see, now how how do we know that? We sense this because of the example of Christ. In His life, in Him coming to planet Earth to live among us, to suffer, to die, to be resurrected on the cross, the scripture is very clear that Christ gave of Himself. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, the scripture says that Christ emptied himself, that he emptied himself to come and to serve, to take on the form of humanity. He emptied himself of his divine prerogative to yield to the Father and to give. If Christ did anything, he gave, and he gave of himself, so most likely. Whatever it looks like in your life, whatever it looks like in my life, it's going to lead, it's going to compel, it's going to move us to give, to give of all of our resources. Today we're going to talk about what does giving actually look like under the new covenant. We've mentioned the new covenant many times in this message series when it comes to how the Spirit of God indwells us, when it comes to how we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to how God wants to relate to other people in this world in and through our lives, He does that, and as a part of His divine plan through the new covenant of grace. We are very, very careful in this message series, and you're going to hear this over and over again, that under the new covenant, there is a way of living, there is a way of giving, there is a way of serving, and it may not be like what you have always thought. What does giving under the new covenant actually look like? Now, this can be controversial, it can be debated, but... Uh, It might even make some people really, really, really uncomfortable because what you hear in regards to grace-based giving may not be what you have always been taught. I want you to imagine with me the scene of the early church. I think this will help you tremendously as we move into this topic of what does it look like to give under the new covenant. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of your New Testament, our New Testament, grew up and lived in Judaism. I mean, he had every patch, every belt buckle of honor. He, a Pharisee among Pharisees, born steeped in it his entire life. He was such a defender of what he thought to be God's plan and God's will through Judaism, that even when Stephen gave his great message in Acts chapter 7, the scripture says that there was the Apostle Paul consenting and agreeing upon his death because they accused Stephen and the gospel message of being a message of blasphemy because Stephen saw the Lord Jesus being equal and at the right hand of the Father. So there's Paul, and he consents to the killing of Stephen. This is He thinks this is the right course. He does what he does in the name of God. And he sets out on a journey to Antioch to hunt down, to identify, to find followers of the way, because he thought this was a movement of heresy that was going to cripple people's devotion to God. So as he goes out from Jerusalem, goes to Antioch, then sent out from Antioch, and by the way, we know the story of the Apostle Paul on his journey actually to Damascus to find, identify, and persecute believers. He has an encounter with the risen Christ. And there in having that encounter with the risen Christ, he is confronted with the message of the gospel of grace. He is confronted with Jesus in a way that he's never known God before. And God absolutely changes his life. In fact, he becomes so convinced of the message and the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ that as he leaves Jerusalem, then goes to Antioch, he's confronted with, how do I preach this message to Gentiles? What do I take to them? What do I tell them that is necessary for their faith, how they're supposed to live, how they're supposed to worship? I mean, he was so compelled by this message that he goes out, and even when he began to meet opposition, he stays the course. He suffers great persecution. He experiences a shipwreck. He's imprisoned, and the guy that was once in favor of of the the system and the beliefs under Judaism, he is now the enemy. So he goes to being the prized son to now being the enemy. He goes into the world. He's taking the gospel of grace into the world. But notice something that happens. Out of Jerusalem, people began to follow him. They were known as Judaizers. And Judaizers wanted to bring Judaism into New Covenant, New Testament, Christianity. They said, these people who are accepting Jesus, they need to also not only be baptized to profess their faith in Christ, but they also need to be circumcised. They need to be circumcised and they need to follow parts of the law as well. They were essentially saying, Jesus is good, but Jesus is not enough. It takes Jesus plus the law and they picked and they chose certain aspects of the law to try to put them on Gentile believers. This thing really comes to a head around Acts chapter 15 in what is known as the Jerusalem Council. And there in Acts chapter 15, under the leadership of James, brother of Jesus, James says, you know what? We do not need to put on these new believers the burden of the old covenant. There are some things that they need to be sensitive to. And if you want to know, if you really want to know, what were those early believers, those early converts, those Gentile Christians, what were they to be sensitive to? Then just go to Acts chapter 15 and look and see what was prescribed and said and encouraged in the Jerusalem council. So basically, this is the way this thing looks. Paul goes out. He's preaching the gospel. But as he's preaching the gospel, he's trying to close the back door To keep the law and the old covenant from coming in behind him. So it's like he's pushing back and he's resisting those influences as he tries to go forward. In fact, they followed him wherever he went. They listened to his messages. And there behind him, wherever they went, they tried to undermine the message of the gospel by trying to add the old covenant law to it. So Paul is doing everything he can to close the back door while moving forward through the front door of the gospel of Jesus and the gospel of grace. And you'll find in his life and in his writings that that was a big, big battle that he was confronted with every day ministry. But here's a question I bring to us today. As Paul tried to close the back door and to preserve the integrity of the gospel of grace, what do you think it would look like when the back door has not been closed? What do you think it would look like when the back door has been opened to that influence where portions of the law and portions of the old covenant have crept in to the new covenant of grace. What do you think that would look like? What it would look like is it would look like a hybrid covenant. It would be a mix of old and new together. In some ways, it honors one, but in other ways, it compromises the other. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul going back into where those areas maybe had been infiltrated by the old with the new, Can you imagine what his ministry would look like going back and confronting the mixture? I mean, you think he didn't have... I mean, you think he lost some friends and made some enemies when he left? Can you imagine what it would look like for him to come back and to try to minister back through that trying to separate divide say folks time out wait a minute that belief that idea is the old covenant that belief that idea is the new we need to hang on to the new we need to be out with the old as the writer of Hebrews said as paul so many times said we are not we are not we are not we are not under law we're under grace Can you imagine what his life will look like? Having to go back and work back through all of that? I submit to you that that's what it's like in many ministries today. That in many ministries today, in an effort to preach the gospel of grace, you have to work through many things that have been brought over from the old and i submit to you also as well that even today in today's context as it would be for paul it would be for any minister of the gospel that he too would lose friends and make some enemies in that journey as well let me give you an example of what this might look like today by the way this is really important because as we begin to talk about what does new covenant giving look like, we want to make sure that we don't bring any mixture of the law into this discussion. We desire a pure understanding of the gospel of grace in regards to giving. After all, the gospel is what kind of news? If you're, what kind of good? What kind of news is it? I mean, it's it's good news. Why was it such good news? It was such good news because the gospel went to a Gentile world and said, guess what? You can be a part of God's family, but it's not on you. It's on Jesus. By grace through faith, you can be a part of God's family. In fact, Jesus has done it all for you. He's done it all for you. If you'll simply turn from your way and accept the gospel of grace into your life. You can find new life. You can find justification. You don't have to go to the temple on a regular basis and and offer sacrifice for your sin over and over and over again. You don't have to fall under the 613 individual commandments of the law. In fact, When Jesus fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the righteous requirement and standard of the law. If you accept him, then his righteousness will be applied to your life. That's why it's such good news. Today, it's not uncommon to hear somebody say something like this. Are you struggling in life? Are you having a hard time? Have you lost your way? All you need is the Bible. If you'll just get a good copy of the Bible in a translation that you understand, you just read the Bible, do what it says, and you're going to be okay. Have you ever heard someone say that? All you need is the Bible. The Bible is our rule book. It is our instruction book for life. If you're struggling, your marriage is in trouble, you're having a difficult way to go, just get you a good copy of the Bible, and you'll be okay. Do what it says. Would you instruct them to a Scripture, say like Leviticus chapter 20, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27, we are approaching the observation of Halloween. Spooks, ghouls, goblins, all that. You hear a lot about the supernatural spiritual world around this time. What about spiritists or people who can supposedly... um, Look into your future and tell you about the future. Horoscopes, spiritists, mediums. Have you ever been so desperate in your life that you thought, man, I I need somebody who's got an inside track into how this thing's going to go. And so you go to the spiritist, you go to the media, you get a psychic reading. Someone looks at your palm, reads your palm and says, oh, I can tell you about your future, about your life. What should we do? with spiritists and mediums today. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27, it says this, Now a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist shall surely be what? Put to death. So would it be okay and permissible for all of us today to go find anywhere a psychic is set up, bomb the place, shoot them, kill them. After all, the book of Leviticus says a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritual shall surely be put to death. So, brother, that's a pretty harsh example. Let's go to Leviticus 19. Let's look at this place. Would you direct someone to this place of, of the Bible? You are to keep my statutes. You shall not breed together two kinds of your cattle. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor wear a garment upon you of two kinds of material mixed together. So your garden with corn and beans is out. If you're wearing a cotton polyester shirt today, you're out. If you're breeding different kinds of livestock together today, you're out. Not to mention places that might read and might say, if you catch an adulterer or someone sleeping with another man's wife, then you put them to death. Would you say at these places and points, the Bible is all you need, just read it, just follow it. You go to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 and 16. It says, it shall come about if you, because somebody might at this point say, well, just tear out the book of Leviticus and let's go to other places. So let's go to Deuteronomy. But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes, with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country Be careful to do all of these commandments and laws and rules and regulations. And if you don't, you're cursed. Does that apply to you today? Does it apply to the Christian church today? Is this where you would direct anyone who is struggling in life? Or would you say that is the Old Covenant written to the nation of Israel for a determined period in time? But today, in the New Testament church, that does not apply to you because that's part of a covenant that you're not part of today. In fact, when it comes to curses or being cursed, the New Testament teaches that Jesus became a curse for us. And curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. He gets the curse so that you can find redemption and so that you can go free. And there's other areas where this has impacted or affected our lives as well. Again, this is all leading up to what does true New Covenant grace-based giving look like? Now, what I'm about to say may lose me some friends. I don't mean to lose friends in preaching or teaching. But I know that as the Apostle Paul would try to work his way back, where there has been an influence of the law and grace together, I know that as he would try to work back through that, and find challenge or difficulty, we're going to find challenge or difficulty as well. Let me give you another example of this. Do you think that what you physically wear on your body to church makes your worship more acceptable to the Lord than others? I actually grew up in a time and era and where that theology is actually taught. I've heard people say that. If you wear certain attire or certain dress to church, God accepts your worship more than He accepts the worship of others who might dress differently. that actually comes from what is known as temple theology, where there is a misunderstanding about the physical building and what the physical building represents. Some people see the physical building as a temple of God. That this is God's house. This is the Lord's house. That God has a special residency in the building. And therefore, because of that, People should be very mindful of how they conduct themselves, of how they dress, of how they are. Because it's the Lord's house. As if worship of God is in a central location and there should be special rules of behavior, dress, code, conduct because of that place. It's temple theology. It's the idea that what was represented in the Old Covenant as a temple has now been transferred to a church building today. When the truth of the matter is, the New Testament Scripture teaches that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God lives and resides in you. Scripture also teaches in the book of Ephesians That there is absolutely nothing that you can put on your physical body that commends your worship to God over against somebody else as to what they put on their physical body. I'll give you an example. This is in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 20 to 25. Paul says, But if you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then watch this part. This is what you put on. You put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Did you hear that? The new person that you are in Jesus Christ is clothed and garmented with righteousness and holiness of truth. Which means that the garment that you wear in Christ of holiness and righteousness and truth, that is what is needed in your life today. In fact, you can have an outward appearance. But if your heart is not right with Christ, it does not matter what is on you externally. And God does not look throughout a congregation of people and says outwardly from a physical appearance, Oh, I will honor your worship, but I will not honor your worship because you're wearing this and you're not. I'll honor your worship because you're dressed in this manner, but you over here, I will not honor or regard your worship because you don't look like this person over here. What tends to happen though, when there's a mixture of the old and the new together, it becomes easy to look at those rules or regulations and then to start to think, okay, well now because I might be meeting one, I can then judge another. And my suggestion to you is that we don't judge anyone. That in Jesus Christ, you are free. You are free to be how you are led to be. And it is not my place To judge the person here against the person there, or to judge this person here over against that person there. Jesus himself said this, whatever judgment you cast toward another will be the same judgment that comes back to you. In other words, when Judaizers and legalists begin to carry a heavy gavel In regards to the lives of other people, it'll be the same heavy gavel that comes back and crushes them. I have a dear brother and friend who's departed from grace. There are things that we've had conversations about. Seems like there's become this hard shell about his heart. And I'm not trying to judge his heart. I just see that love and joy has been evading his life because he's taken a posture of legalism and of judgment. And it's cost him some relationships. Pray that he'll find his way back to grace. That he'll work through the stuff of his life. He'll come to terms. With not just his salvation in Jesus, but his freedom that he has in Jesus as well. Apostle Paul, in working back through this, he would address giving in the body of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he gives some principles for how giving looks like, even in the church. There they were ministering to people in the name of Christ. They were ministering to the poor. There were other churches that were at need. He wanted to reach out to the believers there in Corinth and encourage them to take part of ministry, take part of helping other people and encouraging other people in ministry. And then he begins to lay out three basic principles for their giving. The three principles that you'll identify in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 will follow just like this, and we'll come back to this next week, and we'll look at this in more depth. But when it comes to, okay, God, how do you want me to give, be prepared for this, Paul's going to say, you are to give bountifully. You are, in other words, to give Much. He then moves on and he'll lay out to them that they are to give on purpose as you have purpose in your heart, you give. And then he comes back at the end of this and he says, you are to give freely. You are to give freely, not just as you are regular, consistent, or faithful at one point of your giving, but you are to give liberally and freely as need arises, as opportunity comes up you step up under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and you give. You give. But if you're looking for a law or a prescribed rule or measure specifically how you do this, you do not find it in the pages of the New Testament. Why? Because you're under grace? not law it applies to all facets of our lives and especially to how we give. I can't wait to get into 2 Corinthians chapter 9 next week and dive into this with you so that you can examine for yourselves the laws or rather the principles on which you give and by the way even once you work through this You're not going to be able to come to a place or a point and be able to say, well, this is the prescribed way. These are simply principles that could guide your giving. And you might be surprised what giving under grace really looks like. When you compare this back to the model of Jesus, how did he give? How did he give? How did he give? There's one place in Scripture he seems to honor giving. And it was with the widow and her what? The widow and her what? The widow and her two mites. And we'll look at that next week as well. How Jesus seems to look upon a heart that gives abundantly and sacrificially. And that's what he desires in your life, as well as mine. A heart that is sold out for his heart and the things that touch him. Would you stand with Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, Then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.